Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. I started to go into Speaker Lab episode. I was looking at the episode number. It's episode 193. Let's just get that out of the way. All right. And uh, this is also a good example of where, you know, I could just push a button and I could start re-recording this, but it's a lot more fun if you just let it roll because that's the way speaking is, right? Sometimes you get on stage and you're like, oh man, I just had a brain fart, but I got the show must go on. So today, episode 193, this is a Speak Aloud podcast. We're glad you're here. Grant here. Glad you're joining us. Hey, uh, before we get into today's guest and today's conversation, we've got a good one for you. Uh, if you haven't checked out our, our free software tool, myspeakeragent.com, myspeakeragent.com. It's a database with over a thousand different speaking engagement opportunities. And so we'd love for you to check that out. We've got uh, just literally thousands of people who are using that. So definitely check it out again over at myspeakeragent.com. It's totally free. We'd love for you to be a part of that. All right. So today we are talking with David Burkus. And uh, David is a uh, successful speaker and author. He has a new book out called Friend of a Friend. And so with David, we're going to be talking all about networking specifically. And and networking can oftentimes have this kind of negative connotation. So he kind of beats that down. And then we also talk about what most of us do wrong with networking, what you should be doing instead. We talk about how to connect with other speakers. And then also just who do you know in your world that can help you book gigs? So we, uh, we dig into several different pieces here that I think you're really going to dig and enjoy. So uh, make sure you uh, buckle up for this conversation with my buddy David Burkus from uh, davidburkus.com. Enjoy. What's up, my friends? Graham Baldwin here today, joined by my buddy David Burkus, who uh, is a uh, speaker, author, all around handsome, lovely dude, and uh, excited to be chatting with you today. How are you, man? I'm good. Life is good, man. Life is good. We were just discussing how as the weather gets nicer, productivity becomes more difficult to accomplish. It's just, it's a beautiful day here. It's a beautiful day there. And we should be sitting on a front porch somewhere in rocking chairs discussing this stuff. Yeah, no, totally. I agree. We should be by your pool with just little That's handheld microphones, right? That's what we need no, to it's do. true. I mean, we both live in a part of the country, though, that it gets ridiculously hot in yeah. July and August. And so productivity goes back in those, yes. in those months, yes. right? Because then you're like, oh, it's a beautiful day outside. I'm going to look inside at it. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. All right. So first of all, why don't you give us a little snapshot and overview of uh, yourself, your business, and then uh, specifically how speaking fits into everything. Yeah. So if you ask my six-year-old son, he, he'll give you the best, who are you and what do you do? He says that I make books, I give talks and I take care of him and his brother, right? That's Which good. I think is, I, I wish that him and his brother would be first, right? But no, that, that is the trifecta. <laughs> so I consider myself a writer first. I write books that merge kind of social science and try and take insights from the academic research world 
put handles on them, turn them into tools and make yeah. it easier for people to use them. That naturally leads to, you know, when even the best writers are sort of like the same business model as musicians. You write the book, but you don't make money doing that. You make right. money when the book gets you invited to go places to speak, et cetera. So even though writing is kind of the core of the business, speaking is the majority revenue generator and the majority of focus once the book is sort of out. And so that's why, in fact, actually that same six-year-old was convinced for a time that I worked at the airport because I kept saying, daddy's got to go to work and would drive to the airport. So right, he just right. assumed I, I clearly worked that's, at the airport. That's the place. He's an air traffic controller on the, on the side. So whenever you are, are speaking, what are you typically speaking on? Who are you typically speaking to? So, I mean, it, it depends on the on the books. I, I have three books. They all are that merge of social science and practice. The first was, I have a bit of intellectual ADHD. So the first was around creativity and innovation. The second one was kind of innovative management and team building practices. And then this new one is actually on networking and connections and not just sort of networking for a career, but the way that a network affects your life, affects your business, affects the community that you're in, all of, all of those sort of things. So it really depends. It's usually a mix of trade associations and groups that want to know a bit more either about how to run their business or how to, I mean, networking and trade associations yeah. is a perfect fit in terms of speaking. But on the creativity side, it's actually a lot of educators and institutions like that and even corporate events where they want to come in and help their people be a little bit more creative. So it's like the topic determines what the appropriate audience is. And so you mentioned earlier that, that you consider yourself kind of an author first and a speaker second. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So as you're thinking through like book topics, and it sounds like you've got three books, you're going to have future books. As you're thinking through books, are you thinking about who the audience could be that this could fit for of how this affects the speaking business? Or it's just like, hey, this is a topic I'm passionate about. I want to write about this. And if it has a byproduct of, of speaking, great. And if not, no big deal. You know, I, I didn't at first. I definitely do now. I mean, when I, when I was writing this new book, Friend of a Friend, it was definitely like, okay, who are the target audiences for the book? Right. But then also, what are the target audiences for the talk? So, you know, the book is obviously that kind of like the career set and a little bit of sort of sales organizations. But then as we're writing it, you come in that realization that, wait a minute, there's a, there's another vertical over here because people go to their annual trade association conference specifically yeah. to network, to reconnect with people they know, to get to know new people in the industry, et cetera. And so there's sort of a certain message for that too. And it's usually kind of not when we pitch the book and start writing it, but about midway through the writing that you really get a sense of like, okay, these are the two or three verticals that we could target. Target. And now I'm, I'm going to kind of shift the writing a little bit so that it's applicable to all of those groups. And, and again, didn't do that at first. I definitely do that now because it's a, it's a really smart move. So is there anything that you do once now that the, the book is out and again, you've had some other books in the past, is there anything that you do strategically with the book to leverage it for speaking gigs? So, I mean, besides, we obviously use it as a, as a marketing piece. So the bureau that I work with is, is sending out copies. We're specifically making sure that when there's then an article that's adapted from the book that's applicable to a certain industry, mm -hmm. we make sure that the people who plan the meetings and the people who write the checks for those industries definitely see that article. I mean, actually, it's really in the article writing, too, where we start to go, okay, where can we place an article that's about the book but readily applicable to that specific industry so that that will lead to inquiries for, for speaking and what have you. Gotcha. Interesting. All right. So let's talk about the book for a second. So new book is called a friend of 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 a friend. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, Based on the this, title. Uh, yeah. It just, just title. keeps going. It's, I mean, it's, it's truthfully, it's like the second best book cover of the year. Melissa Dahl's cringeworthy, by the way, that's just a picture of a baby crying is the best, but this is like second best. I had nothing to do with it, but yeah, it's called friend of a friend. Yeah. Apparently there's an ellipsis too in the title. I didn't realize that officially there's an ellipsis to keep that friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend going. Going. 
but yeah, I mean, it, it sends the message, right? So let's talk about the the networking side because this is obviously what the the book is about, and I think this can be really relevant and applicable to speakers in a, in a couple different contexts. So, so if I'm a speaker, I know I'm thinking back for for me. Whenever I first got started speaking, my first full year of speaking, I was looking back and trying to figure out, all right, where did these bookings come from? How do we do more of this? How do we reverse engineer this? And I found that the biggest source of my leads that first year was from other speakers. And I, I continue to to tell speakers today that like one of the best ways you can get gigs is by connecting with other speakers, which sounds great on paper, but it becomes a little bit more difficult on how do you actually do that. So I'm curious, like from your standpoint, if I'm a speaker, I'm interested in connecting with other speakers, like how, where do I even begin? How do I go about doing that? Uh, what should that process look like? Yeah. So, I mean, so first the, the big idea in the, in the book is not that like we need to redefine networking. It's not that it's just meeting total strangers and hoping they work out, et cetera, but yeah. it's understanding that you already exist inside of a network and acting accordingly. Right. Gotcha. So speaking is no different. There's really two networks that you probably want to target. There is the network of meeting other speakers and there's the network of what is the industry sector, et cetera, that's relevant for your talk. And we'll take them both in turn, but both kind of have similarities. The first is that there are usually already watering holes, right? And to use a term my, my friend Pam Slim loves to use. There are usually already places where these people gather or our mutual friend Jeff Goins would call it the scene, right? Yeah. In some cases, that scene might be your in your actual city. So if you live in a bigger geography, there are usually decent NSA chapters, et cetera. But in, in the most cases now, one of the amazing things about our life in 2018 is that there are virtual scenes for exactly this. I mean, you built one specifically. There wasn't really much of a, there was a sort of small inklings of a sort of virtual community for connecting with other speakers. And then, you know, you came in and not only had the education side, but also building the community of people that are in that aspirational speaking and mindset. So there's that. The other thing is that like, usually you don't speak in a vacuum. Like there's a couple situations. I know your background a bit sort of in, in when you're doing like school assembly, you might be the only person. Sure. But if you're targeting conferences, there are already other speakers there. Right. Most of them, like most of us have this mentality of fly in, fly out. Right. But in reality, if you can linger and you can get to know sort of those other people, you can actually almost sort of punch above your weight class often as you're a starting speaker. This is one of the things that that I did the most often is just linger for a little bit, connect with the other speakers, usually the ones that are getting paid more than me, et cetera. Right. But they connect with you because you're both in the green room. You're both have the speaker badge around your neck, et cetera. And it's a great opportunity to meet them and then find out who are they connected with? What communities do they are they a part of, et cetera. So there's a mix of online and offline together, but they both have the same thing in common, which is where are they? Where do they gather? And where do they do their business? And, and fortunately, if you're a speaker, you already go to one of them, right. the actual conference. Right, true. And I want to dig into that a little bit more, but one of the things you mentioned there was especially the meeting people, meeting speakers in person at the conferences, how effective that can be. But even like you mentioned, the even if you linger around and let's say you guys are on totally, totally different days and you don't have a chance to connect, there's been several times where I've emailed a speaker, hey, I know we're not going to have a chance to meet. I know we are on opposite ends of the schedule, but I just, I, you know, I admire your work or I enjoy what you do and, uh, and hopefully we have a chance to cross paths. And so even just the fact that like, hey, you, we are speaking at the same same thing that lends immediate credibility to you as a speaker. So even if the person that you're connecting with, you know, in person or online is they're doing a keynote, you're doing a breakout, the type of thing though, that, Hey, you're speaking at this event that gives you some level of, of credibility in their eyes. And so do you find that that, that just the, the mere fact that, Hey, we're quote unquote sharing a stage that that means something to others in terms of just credibility? So I, I think it does. And I, I think you can make it mean something more too, right? So, so it's one thing to just reach out and go, hey, we're at the same event, yeah. et cetera. The whole other thing, especially if they're in the situation you were just describing, you're the keynoter, I'm the breakout. I'm probably not going to get to meet you because you're going to come in the night before. 
speak the opening session and then I'm the afternoon breakout, you're already at the airport, et cetera. But you could say something like, you know, just email them, reach out to them and say, hey, you know, we're speaking on the same day. You're doing the keynote. I'm doing a breakout. I would love to do a couple callbacks to what you're talking about because you're really going to set the theme for the day. I mean, totally playing off to their egos, et cetera. Could we talk a bit about what are you going to say? Or if you have your deck already, can I, you know, can I take a look at it? Just anything where it shows that like, let's an invitation to work together. So we make sure we have a similar message throughout the day, or at least that they complement each other. Now you're not just saying like, oh, I'm a fan of your work and I'd love to talk and, and yeah. you know pick your brain, which right. is a totally vague and amorphous thing. But you're actually inviting them into a conversation with you about how can we make our work supplement each other or, or complement each other or really that actually, I mean both, they mean the same thing in this sense. Yeah. And, and it's a, usually you have a better traction with something like that because you're, you're saying a specific reason why they should connect with you and you're inviting them into that conversation with you and it's more than just, hey, let's connect. So whether it's at a, at a conference where you're both speaking or it's in a, an actual in-person thing where let's say you're attending some type of NSA, the, the National Speakers Association, some type of chapter meeting or a Toastmasters or something where you're in person to connect with other speakers, like any tips or strategies or tricks on, in terms of like how you actually go about doing that? It seems like a lot of that just comes back to even like the how to win friends and influence people, you know, just some of those like basic human <laughs> strategies of just how you interact with other people. But I'm curious from like your standpoint, if, if the goal here is to, is to ultimately network with someone, like what does that look like and how do we go about doing that? So, I, you know, I think the biggest thing is people go to a lot of these events with two, uh, really, really two negative intentions in mind, right? The first and probably the biggest one is that they're just trying to meet people. They didn't yeah. specify who they're specifically looking for. And that's just a huge error because you're going to end up kind of, you're going to end up being that person who's in conversation and immediately trying to judge whether or not that person is useful to you and then yeah. deciding they're not and looking over the shoulder. And like, we all hate that person, totally. right? You hate that person when someone else is doing it to you. But then the second thing too, is that I think a lot of people go with the idea of, you know, they've refined their elevator pitch. They're there for, for whatever reason they're sort of going to promote. And I think those are the types of events when you're going to a place where other speakers gather, where you have to almost outgive the other person, right? So what leads can you present to them? Who can you introduce them to, right? How can you, you might not be, especially if they're a more established speaker, you might be able to not be able to give them advice on their business model or on their talk or what have you. But if there are people you already know or connections you already make, or, Hey, you know, I spoke at this event last year and you sound like you'd be an awesome fit. Can I introduce you to them, et cetera? If you be the more giving one, eventually that reputation gets around that you are that person, you move a little more central to the overall network and people are much more likely to introduce you. I am thinking in particular, actually, you and I are part of a, a virtual group of speakers. And I just saw a post from one of our mutual friends, Jeffrey Shaw, talking about how like, hey, this conference is coming up and five of the people that are speaking there are people that I refer to this. It's such an awesome community, et cetera. Yeah. You can bet that Jeffrey's going to get some back-end business out of that because now everyone in the group is going, wow, that guy is generous, right? right. Wow, I need to really help that guy. So one of the things that you mentioned was the most people approach some type of networking opportunity. I go into a room, there's a hundred other speakers there and it's just, I'm going to hit all hundred and try to connect with all of them, which just sounds like, like as a sidebar, like I'm a bit of an introvert. So that just sounds like a horrible uh, recipe for disaster anyway. But like, like what should be the approach there? Should, is it better to focus on like, all right, I'm going to have, I'm going to have a uh, 130 second conversations or to have, you know, five really meaningful conversations that I almost like pre-plan and, and plot out ahead of time. Yeah. I mean, I actually think the the best approach to surviving these things is I actually, and not just 
to appeal to the introverts, I actually might get recommend that a lot of people don't, you just don't go alone to these giant meetings, right? So there's a ton of research. We talk about some of it in the book that in an unstructured event like that, where the only thing everyone has in common is they do the same thing, but they're not there to hear a, a certain workshop or they're not there to kind of like a Toastmasters is usually has a purpose. We're going to be rehearsing, right. giving feedback, et cetera. There's some structure that you use as the means to meet people, but in those unstructured events, I don't think either strategy really works all that well. I think that the one that works the absolute best is to have someone else who's there and really just make it a goal to partner up. There's a room of 100 people. I know five of them. You know five of them. Let's make sure that we cross and we just use this room in this gathering to exchange our network much faster than it would take us to do if we weren't in the room. There's a couple different reasons for that. But one of the biggest is that I find it amazing when we when I looked at all of the research on network science that you really don't need to focus on just meeting strangers. You have almost everyone you need to connect to one or two introductions away from you. Yeah. And the thing that those rooms where everybody's together and all they do is speed that up, but that's a much better approach because you have someone vouching for you, introducing you, have a reason that you're getting connected to that person, et cetera. It usually goes a lot better for you in that situation. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, it goes better for you in that situation. Yeah. So does it mean that like we should all, rather than looking for who are the, you know, the, the 50 people in the world that I want to try to connect with, really just starting with who do I know that knows those people? Or I mean, it sounds like that's a bit of the approach. So yeah, what I coach a lot of people to do is ask the question uh, often, who do you know in blank, right? And you need to do this twofold. Like, so if you're just, if you're alone, you're the only person in your city, you know, that is making a run at being a professional speaker, you probably need to be asking this question twice of, of a lot of people. The first being, who do you know who does this, right? Yeah. And seeking an introduction to meet other people through that connection. The other thing is what industry are you targeting? What sector, depending on what you speak about, there are only certain communities that are going to resonate with that message. So who do you know in blank also means for that, that community, et cetera. Most of us go the opposite route in a technological age where we like we LinkedIn stalk people and then LinkedIn even tells us you you have this person in common. Well, that person may or may not know them because everybody has different rules for who they connect with on LinkedIn. Right. So usually starting there and working your way back isn't as effective as just keeping an open sort of posture and asking as many people as you can. Who do you know in blank with blank being wherever you want to get to meet to meet people in? And then especially when multiple people are giving you the same couple of names, that's a really strong indication that you can get a deep relationship and a deep connection with that person. So are you typically like, I'm just thinking like on a general basis, are you typically, okay, I'm looking for a, a specific person in this specific space. And so now I start to put the feelers out or are you just regularly kind of like pulling together people in different industries just that you almost have on your radar? Like, I'm just kind of wondering like the back end of this is you're just kind of like tracking your own network. Is there anything that you're doing to keep it all straight? Yeah. So I, it's, it's sort of both end, right? So I try and make it a habit about at least to have that who do you know in blank conversation once a week, but usually with, uh, so with anyone, but usually to an industry that I'm actually trying to make some inroads in, right? So yeah. I feel really weird saying this, but for me right now, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere or if it, or what it'll lead to, but I've become really fascinated with the idea that I had a couple people who are in television and then I see how that, I mean, I've shared the stage with a couple people that the only reason they're there is they hosted a TV show and I don't think I'm going to host a show, but like, hmm, this is clearly a medium where people can see that I have decent presentation skills. I probably need to know more, even if it's just getting coaching on how to be on television from people. Yeah. So I'm asking the question often now, who do you know in film and television, right? And then trying to, to get connected to those people for, for specific reasons. So it's not that you're targeting and asking it of specific people. It's that you're targeting that certain industry. And I think this is true for when you're trying to chase down leads too, right? One of the biggest challenges for aspirational speakers, people starting out is obscurity. 
right? You're just not known at all. And it's really hard to go from obscurity to mass audience. It's much easier to go obscurity to, hey, you know what? I'm known in this one sector. Right, right. I'm, I'm known in this tiny pond. It's a small pond, but I'm known there. Yeah, no, exactly right. And, and in, in Friend of a Friend, we talk about this actual network science principle called the majority illusion that a friend of ours that's a phenomenal speaker, Andrew Davis, actually yeah. used when he was sort of starting out. And he did it actually to chase leads for his marketing company. And it turned into, it's just, it led to more leads for speaking and that became his full-time business. But he basically picked an industry and said, I'm going to spend the next year trying to meet only people who are in that industry, trying to write only for the trade publications that are in that industry, trying to speak only at the conferences that serve that industry. And sure enough, when he would get inbound inquiries for speaking, he would say, you know, where did you hear about us? And be like, what do you mean? Where did you hear about us? You're everywhere. Well, no, really like for in his first year, he wasn't everywhere. No one knew who he was except the construction and remodeling industry, because that's where he was. Right, right. So let's talk about that for a second. So if we've talked about it in terms of a little bit on on how we're connecting with other speakers, but for getting actual speaking gigs, oftentimes there are going to be people in your world or again, friends of friends who I may not be the decision maker, but my boss is, or my sister helps with an event or someone that I know knows someone who is looking for a speaker. So how do we go about approaching that? It seems like, do we just post on Facebook and like, hey, I'm a speaker. If you know someone, let me know. Like, is there a way to go about doing that that makes sense and is logical? Yeah. So so again, that question, who do you know in blank if you're trying to go everywhere all at once? But I would really counsel people not to do that, to seek out that sort of one industry, right? And the way that to, to get a little nerdy for a second, the way that this majority illusion works is that in any network and every industry is a network, there are people that are more connected to others. And what's interesting about those is, A, the people that are the most connected, the super connectors in the industry, they're the people that you are most likely to meet when you're putting feelers out there. Who do you know in blank? Because they're the most connected. So mathematically, they're just the the ones that you have the highest probability of meeting. They're also the people that everyone else in the network kind of takes their cues from. We're tribal people. We look to the left, to the right. We judge what's popular, what's hot, what's, you know, what do we need to pay attention to based on what people around us are doing. And the people that are the most connected have a disproportionate influence in that. So when you specifically target those people, you start to look more popular than you really are. And this is again, what Andrew did with, okay, I need to get connected to the editor for the trade magazine. I need to get connected to the person that plans the meeting for this such and such event. He wasn't just saying, I I want to meet anybody in this industry. He was saying, you know, who do you know in blank? And then specifically making a note to try and get a path to the people that are the most connected and the most influential so that he could appear everywhere in a much shorter period of time. The other thing I like about that is that it's far easier to track. Like one of the hardest, most frustrating things when you're starting is you're only getting a tiny little drip of inbound leads. You're only able to connect with certain sort of uh, people. And it's hard to track, am I actually making progress when you're spaced out all over different industries and different sectors? If you're actually just in one, it's really easy to start tracking. Okay, now I just need to keep count of how many people know my work in this one sector. It's a far easier number to track and feel that you're making progress in. Yeah, it reminds me of a good example of someone, um, one of our programs who is a, and I've used this example before, but they speak on social media, which is the type of topic that you could really speak to you know, a lot of different types of audiences, businesses, individuals about. 
but they focus on veterinarians and they do really, really well in that one little bubble. Now, outside of that bubble, again, they could talk to a bunch of different people about social media, but by really doubling down and saying, no, no, I, I do this specific topic for this specific audience, it becomes a lot easier to get gigs. And again, it's, it's very counterintuitive because we feel like we need to spread the net as far and wide as possible. But by saying, no, 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 I am focused on this one tiny pond. So it seems like in that situation, then it's not, hey, who do you know that's looking for a speaker on social media? I'm looking for veterinarians. And then from there, I may start to dig in a little bit more on you know, what events that they're connected to or what, what are the events that they're a part of, the associations, the groups, or whatever it may be. Right. No, exactly. I, I have a good friend that she was a, actually a former student of mine when I was a business school professor that now speaks on diversity and cultural diversity, et cetera. But she figured out pretty quickly that like her best chance, she had a couple inroads in the mortgage and lending industry. Yeah. And now that's all she does. She talks to loan officers about how to better understand the multicultural world that is America in 2018, how that can help them better serve customers, better attract customers, all, all of that sort of thing. And it, she kind of stumbled into it by default but you could do the exact, in both situations, you can actually make what was organic actually be intentional. So you would say, who do you know in blank, right? I'm looking for veterinarians. Who do you know that works in veterinarians or who do you know that works in mortgages and lending? And then you're either going to get connected to the most connected people because that's mathematically, but even when you're not, you can still ask them questions. What conferences do you go to? What publications do you read? Start to get that sort of sense of where else do I need to go target, right? And especially when everybody's telling you they go to the same conference or they read the same blog or they follow the same couple people to learn on social media, to learn how to be a better um, veterinarian or be a better lender, et cetera, then you know, okay, these are the people that I really need to spend time getting to know, getting connected to, and then eventually being able to contribute and collaborate with because that's going to grow my business in that one area dramatically. How much of it, whenever you're trying to connect with other people, like how much of it is trying to connect with them for something specific versus I'm going to dig into to building a relationship with this person. It may or may not ever turn into anything, but there seems something of, of value here. And it's also kind of the unique, I don't know, it's kind of this unique balance of, uh, I remember you mentioned Jeff Goins. He and I had a conversation about this a while back. When you're building relationships with other people, it's kind of this thing of, there could be something of value that I get from that person at some point in the future, right? But is that the primary reason that I'm, I'm building that relationship? So like I'm thinking about, uh, you know, we just moved into a new house. I'm going to I'm gonna become friends with my neighbor across the street because someday, somehow, I'm going to need something from him. Or is it just because he's my neighbor and I'm just a nice guy? You know, so like, how do you find that balance of I'm trying to connect with people and I'm trying to connect with, with them for the right reasons, but at the same time, like, the end goal is that I may try to get something from them. And it sounds like a horrible way to put it, but in some ways, like, there's something I'm trying to get out of the, out of the relationship. No, I, I hear you. And and fundamentally, this is, I think, the number one reason everybody feels sleazy and like that weirdo yeah. at, at networking events is because they're doing that, can I get something out of it thing. So, But it, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? So when you're asking the who do you know in blank, when you're speaking, you're going after a specific industry, then you do need to say like, what is the thing of value that I can present? And you need to have something for each thing, yeah. right? So if it's speaking and you're seeking after the meeting planners and the people that run the events, great, you've already got something, right? If it's an influencer, someone who writes in that space or a publication in that space, et cetera, then that should probably be your target. If it's just, hey, this person is a veterinarian, then at the very least, you can still offer them something to help them. You can at least offer them some sort of like, well, let's talk for a bit and let's, let me analyze what you're doing and see if I can get a bit better at, et cetera. So you, and it's not a question of what can I get out of it. It's just that when you're connecting with someone, when you're trying to meet someone for the first time, you will end up building a deeper relationship faster if you have something you can give 
to them, right? Yeah. So you want to be looking for that. You may get something out of it down the road or not, but the point is you need, if you're asking for an introduction or a reason to connect with someone, there needs to be a reason besides just, hey, it's great to know you. That's one side of the coin. At the same time, there's this phenomenon in network science called multiplexity, right? Which is this fancy $2 SAT word for the fact that we have different contexts in which we connect. So like your neighbor, for example, he's your neighbor. That's context one. Yeah. Your kids go to school together, I'm assuming, right? So that's context two. You might have a work-related context that you connect with. You might not. But the more that you have, the more those possibilities that you can help them and they can help you occur, right? So it's worthwhile to be... We do the opposite, by the way. We put people into buckets, right? Like right now, I'm even thinking about your neighbor only because you showed me a, a shot of your street now so I can even visualize it before right, we started right. recording this. I'm thinking of your neighbor and you probably do. You put him into a bucket of like, well, he's my neighbor. And so these are the bounds in which our relationship is going to exist. Yeah. And I don't think that's worthwhile for either of you because you could help each other in a multiple more context if you build that multiplex tie. So I think it's worth kind of always doing that, not putting someone into a work bucket or a friend bucket or a neighbor bucket, right? But again, don't do it from the standpoint of, oh, maybe I'll get something out of it one day. Just do it from the standpoint of the more we know about each other, the more we have an opportunity to connect over shared interests and the more I have a possibility to help him. And if that comes back to me, like, great. But really, I mean, the, the number one lesson of network science is, is that there's this thing called social capital and you build it by by pouring capital into the network, by pouring value into the network, eventually it'll take care of you. If you do it with that, what Adam Grant would call the matcher approach, it doesn't work as well as if you just go, look, my job is to take care of the community. My job is to take care of the people in my network. And I just trust that that will come back to me over time. Yeah, that makes sense. So for a speaker that's listening right now, watching right now, they're, they're going... I know I need to continue to connect with other people that may help my speaking business in some way, whether it's other speakers or people who may be connected with someone. Like, where should we go from here? Do we just need to go analyze everybody that we are friends with on, on Facebook or follow on LinkedIn or whatever? Or what, what should be our next steps in terms of being more aware of our network and, and how that affects our speaking business? I mean, that is, you could start that way, but it's going to get uh, overwhelming pretty soon. You know, I, I pay attention to a lot of your work. Big fan of listen to the podcast. In fact, my wife actually still makes a joke about we could always go work at Applebee's because we heard that from you and yeah, your yeah. wife from a yeah. podcast from like years ago. Anyway, one of the things that you drill into people, right, is this idea that you can't speak on everything. Yeah. You got to narrow it down. But I, I would say the next step then is to take it one step further. You can't speak to everyone. Right. You've got to narrow it down. Who are you going to be for that? The social media for veterinarians is a perfect example. I think everybody has to start there. Once you build credibility in that vertical, you can go to other ones. Exactly. Andrew now speaks on everything. But yeah. if you're going to do this, if you're going to study the network and you're going to try and make those connections in, you have to start by deciding what network, what community do I even want to make inroads into? I want to become embedded in. So you can't speak on everything, but you also can't speak to everyone. So you got to decide who after you decide what. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And, and once you once you determine that, then it makes it a lot easier to go from, all right, I, I'm friends with 2,000 people on Facebook, but I'm really only looking for like these 20 out of them that right. uh, would be of a benefit for me to talk to further and just and you know learn more about their space or industry. And a lot of exactly. times, whoever you want to be speaking to, whatever that niche is, let's say you want to be speaking to veterinarians on social media, it's most likely that if you picked that as your path of travel for a speaker that you've got at least some experience there. You know at least some of the people. You have a few connections. You know who is a veterinarian that you could potentially talk to. And it's not like you threw a dart at a wall of, of options and like, all right, I guess we're going to go after veterinarians. And like, <laughs> I know nothing about animals and I don't know anybody who's a veterinarian. So you probably at least have something there that you can begin with. It's just a matter of, of paying attention and being aware of that. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. To use my example on the diversity inclusion and mortgage space, yeah. it was because her father was a mortgage broker. Like you right. already have some of those connections. So yeah. So not only does it help you pay to figure out like who in this sea of 2000 people that I'm connected to, do I need to spend a disproportionate amount of time with? You probably already connected. And so you're much more likely to be able to work that friend of a friend network instead of just show up at the uh, the annual event for that industry and just go, all right, well, now I've got to meet 1500 people in a, in a short period of time. Now just pick that community. You're probably already sort of embedded in it. You just need to now take steps to get a little bit more known and a little bit more connected in that community. And it's a whole lot easier to measure progress too, because you've done that. Awesome. David, man, we appreciate the time. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Again, the book is Friend of a Friend of a Friend of a Friend of a Friend. So we definitely encourage people to uh, to go check that out. I assume they can find it on Amazon or wherever uh, books are sold. Yeah, I know any any good bookstore, if uh, if they don't have it, it's because they're not a good bookstore. But, you know, the, I mean, the easiest thing to do, check out the show notes for this page, right? Because you're going to link to it. And then there's a ton of other resources if you're trying to do this from work that Grant's already put out. So I would say head there. If Grant then a uh, friend of a friend's you over to where the book is found, awesome. But I know there's a ton of stuff on his site because I go to it often too. Cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. And your site, davidberkus.com? Yep. Yep. All right. Good. We'll link up to all of that, man. We appreciate you taking the time to share this with us. No, man. Thank you so much for having me. All right. There you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with David Berkus. Again, check out his new book, Friend of a Friend. The cover's good. The cover's really good. We talked about that earlier, uh, but friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Uh, a lot of great stuff in the book there. Again, you can check out his book and uh, check out his site over at davidberkus.com. Now, I mentioned agent to you at the beginning. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you check that out. Again, myspeakeragent.com. Myspeakeragent.com is a free software tool where we are giving you uh, leads and leads and leads galore to uh, over a thousand different speaking engagements that you can sort through, sift through, browse through, and find some speaking engagements that are just right for you. Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Just what baby bear is looking for. All right, that wraps up today's episode, episode 193. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome.